stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's associate stock strategist, Ryan McQueenie, for what will be, unfortunately, his last Market Edge podcast as he's leaving Zach's for a new opportunity. So it's been great having you, Ryan, on the show on the last, I guess it's been about two years now. Yeah. And we've talked about a lot of different things. But this time we're going to talk about what has happened in the stock market over the last two years since you've been here at Zach's because a lot has happened. When I, when I decided to do the show with you, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll cover, you know, basically what went on. But then I went and looked what went on and I was like, wow, dang, yeah, yeah this is actually a good topic. Yeah. Even if you weren't leaving, this is yeah. like a good topic because um, I went and looked a little bit around at – I mean, we all remember 2017 because it was so good, but I actually looked, drilled down deeper into some of the stats from that year, and I'll just share with everybody because we tend to forget, even though it was only two years ago now, how good that year was. So it was considered one of the least volatile in U.S. history. Most people remember that part of it. But I looked at the, the VIX average for the year, and the average daily closing price was around 11.1 for the year, and that was the lowest of any year since the inception of the VIX, which was until 1986. So it doesn't go back as far as some of the other stats, but pretty far. And that was lower by over a point of any other year, and its normal average is up over 20. But the interesting thing about the VIX is that the high for 2017 on the VIX was just 17.28. So that didn't even get to the average level for the the lowest high, and that was the lowest high ever for the VIX. But even if you look at the daily percentage moves, because that's what I remember about 2017, it never really went up more than 1% or down more than 1%. But I did have to go look at that stat because I, I, I was thinking, oh, it was only like two or three times it, it did it. But the Dow did do that move 10 trading days in the year. So either up a percent or down a percent in that on a day. And that was the third fewest days of that kind of move since 1901. Wow. So that's that's pretty crazy. And then the S&P 500 had only eight days where it was up the one or down the one, and that tied it for the third lowest ever. And I think the other lowest were in the 60s. So sure. that was, nobody's remembering those years. Uh, but then we switched over to 2018. Yeah. And I, I, it was interesting going back and looking at some of the articles because to start the year 2018, Everyone was still in the glory of 2017 where the S&P was up. I think it was like 21% that year. And they were all, we were all wondering, will this low volatility continue into 2018? Because in the 60s, it did go for like three years when it was super low in the 60s. But alas, no. <laughs> and the first two months, a lot of people forget this too, were super volatile. And the stock market was down big in the first two months of 2018. Um, we did have a correction down 10.2% in the S&P 500. And then the rest of the year was pretty big swings as well. And then we had the bigger correction in November, December to end the year. For those two months, I looked it up through December 24th because that was basically when it bottomed out. The Christmas Eve lows. Yeah. And it was down, the S&P down 13.7 during just those two months. So... Um, some of the other indexes might have hit the bear in there. I know that was like kind of, you know, everybody's watching that aspect of it. And the the Russell definitely was, you know, way down there. But 
just looking at that and you're like, dang, these are like what we've had to deal with for the past two years and your year, your time here at Zach's. So I thought we'd talk about like what lessons could be learned from just looking at those two types of markets, yeah. which are, I mean, it wasn't like the mirror image of each other because we didn't have like, you know, a 20% correction in the S&P 500 in 2018 overall, I should say. Um, but the S&P was down, I think it was over a little over 4% at the end, 4.4%. Um, I think I saw some that said it was five, I don't know, somewhere around in there. And it was the first down year since the Great Recession. So a lot of people like really were mm-hmm. feeling that because it was good times for the most part before then. Uh, but I thought we'd talk about some of the lessons learned because I know I did. And I think I was kind of ignoring what 2017 really meant for 2018. But one of the big lessons I feel, and I'm just going to start off with one of the ones for me for those last two years was really kind of complacency. Mm -hmm. Like 2017 was just, you didn't have to do anything. (laughs) You just owned the stocks and they went up and there was no volatility. Even on the earnings season, you know, you didn't have like super huge blowups usually occasional, depending if something like structural was going on at a company you might have. But otherwise, it was like fairly easy. Mm-hmm. And so when 2018 came along, we were I was still kind of following the 2017 guidelines, even though the volatility had picked up. And I feel like I got complacent in my investing into 2018 and that the market conditions had changed valuations were now different than 2017 as well. Um, and then we got the volatility, but I was complacent. Sure. Yeah. Um, it, it, they're two very interesting gears for me, as you noted, kind of two huge learning experiences for me, I, being kind of relatively young and, and fresh and new to yeah. movies. And, and I think my biggest takeaway from, from both 2017 and 2018 is that um, I, I shouldn't necessarily look at either of those years as normal years. As, as you noted for 2017, abnormally quiet and abnormally stable right? and abnormally um, positive. In, in 2018, kind of the opposite, uh, abnormally volatile and uh, you know a lot of down days, multiple corrections, multiple huge swings off lows to new highs and, yeah. and all the way back down again, which is also not typical. So uh, <laughs> it's difficult because, you know, those are two of my first full years really being engaged yeah. with the market and, and being involved in it firsthand and participating in it. And it's two years that are probably to more experienced investors, two examples of anomalies. And, you know, I think one thing that you have to think about with investing all, all the time, and one thing I'm, I'm still learning to to think about all the time is is time itself and, and the advantage right. of time uh, as an investor, um, especially in, in the U.S. market. Time has proven to be a, a, a benefit consistently throughout history. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you were to just focus on 2017 and 2018, it would look like, well, what the heck is going on here? What do we? What? How, how do you do this? What is investing? It doesn't right. make any sense to me. <laughs> um, so you have to you have to remember that you know these gains are supposed to be something that tra- traditionally come uh, over long periods of time, 
um, they're a little bit more guaranteed and nothing is guaranteed, obviously, but a little bit more guaranteed in, in a, in a measurable manner over long periods of time. And, and, um, just looking at those two years back to back, it's weird. It's funny that they came back to back. Maybe, yeah. it, it, maybe it makes sense that they came back to back, but, um, they probably stick out as, as anomalies. Definitely. It's good that you make that point of the time, because when you are talking about, what the stock market has done in, in like a shorter amount of time period, you may get stretches of it being much more volatile. And, but they've shown by, from studying the longer term returns on the stock market, that the longer you own it, the less volatile it is, obviously, because it like smooths out those crazy up and down volatile periods. Mm -hmm. If you own 10, 20, 30 sure. years, you ultimately like, you know, ride up and down the bears and the bulls and all of that. So it smooths it out. But that's not for those of us who are watching the stock market every day and we have it on our phone and all of that. That's easier said than done sure. <laughs> to say like, oh, in the long time, long haul, I'll be fine. But I do think most investors tend to forget quite quickly because I even forgot about the early January, February correction yeah. in 2018. And that was just one year ago. <laughs> that was very dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it, it, it is easy to move along, but it also helps that over the last year we did have new all time highs. Yeah. So I guess it's easy to forget those corrections if we're breaking out again too. Mm. So that's another thing too, that you've seen in the last two years are these all-time highs and the questions about valuations. I know last year I talked about on this podcast with a couple other guests about the valuation issue, and I was complaining, I think it was in the beginning of 2018, about Boeing's valuation being at 29 times. And I thought that that was just absurd to pay for that stock in particular. It's not, I have nothing against Boeing. I like the company. But 29 times for them, for those earnings, was just way too high for me. Mm -hmm. I'm a value investor. So that seemed crazy. Mm -hmm. Now the, the stock did pull back and now it's busting out again. So I had to go look at it again and I see um, it's now it's at those new, new all-time highs, but it's trading at 20 times, a little over 20 times. So the earnings have definitely come back up mm -hmm. to get us the lower valuation. So I am liking the valuation a little bit more here. It's still not a value at 20 times, yeah. but that's a little less absurd than 29 times. Sure. So did you, um, how did valuations play into anything over the last two years since you were a newbie investor? Did you look at valuations at all or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I, I think uh, my relationship with um, valuations, especially, you know, kind of just key basic ways of doing it, like the, the forward PE. Um, I, that's something I learned to do um, over the past year or so in 2018, as we're talking about a, a valuation contraction, um, looking at the actual average valuation of certain indexes and getting a read on what these, pullbacks and sell-offs are doing for market-wide valuations because you know I, I had learned valuation in in the context of determining value of individual stocks and so I would use all these little tools and tricks and look at these different metrics and then kind of create in my head arguments for and against these valuations you know you the stock that's trading at 29 times I, I think I agree with you on Boeing 
might be a little bit overvalued, but there are certainly some stocks that I think deserve to be trading at yeah, 30 times for sure. um, that are in different different contexts. Um, but I think 2018, when we talk about those market-wide soft where everything was getting hit, right. it, this story becomes more, okay, what is this doing to, to the valuations on average? And what does that mean in terms of of the health of the stock market overall right now. Um, that was something I, I definitely learned and became a little bit more familiar with, um, especially in, in like Q4 where, where it did feel like everything was selling off. What about that kind of market psychology? Because we mentioned it a couple of times now on the, the bigger correction in November into December where everything was, there was nowhere to hide. Everything mm-hmm. was being sell, sold off. I call it, uh, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. But that must have been like one of the first times you've, you've experienced that where it didn't matter what you owned. Mm-hmm. How, how did your thinking develop during that? Because I think a lot of newbie investors do um, have that same issue when you get a market correction like that. Because it wasn't like even the utilities were down. Mm-hmm. You couldn't even go hide out there. Yeah. But And I know for me, some companies, I was like, no, these are completely oversold. But that didn't matter. They kept going down anyways. So how, how did that develop with you as a newbie investor? Yeah, I think... I think it was a lot of um, trying to just manage my own expectations because you you know uh, when you when everybody's losing, I think it, when everything is going down, I think you need to ignore trying to to outperform a benchmark over a certain period of time. Or oh, my portfolio is down six and a half percent, and the S and P's down five and a half percent in the past month, like. You're not you're not doing too great. Nobody is doing too <laughs> right, great in, in right. that situation. Um, so I think about kind of lessons taught by the likes of the great Jack Bogle, who rest in peace, yeah. recently passed. Um, where you know we're not you don't necessarily at all times have to be concerned about outperforming a benchmark. What you need to think about is long term. Uh, where long-term accruing value through your investments. And in those moments, the the vocals of the world, the Buffets of the world would tell us in those moments when things are are coming down so hard and so broadly, that's a great buying opportunity. Um, So, you know, with with the income investor portfolio, which I've had the pleasure of managing over the past few months, we did buy some stocks in there. And it's it's getting to a point where that was looking like a smart idea because we've, we've gotten to this rebound. Um, and we have a longer term holding philosophy in that portfolio anyway. So it's one of those things where you have to take a step back. You have to you have to stop fretting over the fact that that you're you're in the red on, on a bunch of stocks and, and you need to to think about positioning yourself for one to five to 10 to 20 years from now, depending on what your your strategy is, is designed to to succeed over. So what do you think about dividend stacks now that you were a dividend investor, basically, but that would be somewhat unusual for a newbie investor to, to just be, you know, looking at dividend type of stocks? Yeah, there's not, not a ton of the, uh, the Robin Hood youths no. out there going for the dividend stocks in but, my uh, experience. Right. But did this change your view of them at all or, or since you were kind of more involved in sure. that world? Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, especially, I think that type of volatility um it shows you why you know having a little extra cushion with a solid dividend 
um, makes you feel a little bit better, and especially uh, you, you you can you can do that long term mindset as much as you want. You're still gonna worry a little bit. That's human nature, yeah. um, and so a little bit of something that helps you with that that worrying is oh well, I'm still getting a nice some nice dividends <laughs> here, so I'm not. I'm not too concerned. These are still healthy companies and and they're still paying me out a little bit every quarter. So, um, yeah. And I think it's, it's little things too. Like when you, when you look at it, I mean, returns are better when you reinvest dividends significantly over, we'll talk about time. When you look at returns of major indexes over time, when you reinvest dividends, the returns become significantly better. So, um, it's as simple as that. You could, you can chase the momentum and the growth all you want, um, and more power to you if you can succeed doing that. Yeah. Um, if you take more of the slow and steady wins the race type of, of, uh, stance. And if you're, you're looking someone who's looking to invest because you want to retire with more wealth rather than have more wealth three weeks from now, <laughs> right. then it's certainly something that, that is a smart strategy. Okay. That's, that's a bullish Viewpoint on the dividends. Absolutely. I have one thing before we completely forget about the year 2017 that I'd okay. like to talk about. Okay. Because here was, this is something that I was deeply engrossed in in terms of covering this for Zach.com okay. in late 2017. Ooh, I'm, I'm curious to it's, know what this is now. It is the B word, Tracy. The B word. Bitcoin. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I did completely forget it. I don't know how. Remember Surprise. The, remember the holiday Bitcoin rally oh of my late gosh, 2017? Yes, so yes, yes. There was, a little, there was something already happening in late 2017 as we started Q4 where Bitcoin was really starting to take off. And then... All the crypto started to take off into October and, and early November. And then, as I think I predicted to you in this office, <laughs> everyone went to for their Thanksgiving breaks. They went home. All the young people who were in Bitcoin and the other cryptos had to tell everybody. At, right. They were at, told their uncles and at, aunts. Yes. And then from from <laughs> Thanksgiving on until the rest, the, through the rest of, to right after New Year, really, yeah. everything crypto-related everything blockchain everything bitcoin this bitcoin that just taking off like rocket yes bitcoin ended 2017 up 1700% which is just <laughs> insanity um obviously we've seen how what's happened to that since then we don't it, it, you know I don't really need to go and describe right. the losses now. Well, still, well. certainly not at the lows yet. I no, mean, you, 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 there's still people who are in the green if they've hold, held throughout this whole thing. <laughs> oh man! Um, but you know, it's come crashing down, slow and steady crash too. It's been a slow bleed where every it little has. rally has has turned into nothing, and it's come back down. Um, and I think from an investing perspective, especially one that's been more, I guess, bullish on the on the dividend strategy and the buy and hold strategy and the invest for the long term and and that type of thing it is was a really great lesson to be able to be there and experience it and watch it happen uh, it was a great lesson on how manias happen how bubbles form how um you know kind of a good good lesson on human nature and, and yeah. the idea that that people don't like to get left out of things like this they don't want to be the guy who didn't um, buy Bitcoin during that period of time. Did you buy Bitcoin? I was never in Bitcoin during that rally. Okay. Um, I had messed around a little bit with some with some altcoins at the time. Okay. Um, but was not in Bitcoin. Had had bought Bitcoin earlier in my life, many years. Before, and had I known, I would have held on to it a yes. lot longer than I did. <laughs> um, 
but no, I, I was wasn't chasing that okay. one. Um, and I think I was just I was hesitant because what was also happening at that time was the transactions were taking a little, lot longer. They were coming a bit pricier, and I was just worried that. I was gonna get caught in in the crash to end all crashes okay. randomly, <laughs> and, and, and miss out on on any money. And uh, yeah, so but that one, I, as I mentioned, I covered it a lot for Zacks.com, just yeah. keeping up with the day to day news. Um, you know, we weren't doing any sort of recommendations or analysis no. on Bitcoin because it's just so far away from what we do right. in, in terms of the, the earnings estimates, <laughs> the yeah. estimate revisions. But people wanted to hear about what was happening every day. Oh, and for sure. These moves up and these moves down and and trying to find explanations as to why uh, that was the type of coverage I was doing. And it, it, was, it was fun while it lasted, but it was definitely a great lesson. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought it up about it being a mania or a bubble. This could be for the millennials their first experience of a bubble. I'm I'm assuming actually, mm-hmm. and that those kinds of experiences you you will remember like decades from mm-hmm. now as an investor because now it'll be like oh yeah remember that Bitcoin craziness everyone moving to Puerto Rico and all that stuff that mm-hmm. was going on because um, the get rich thing you know, doesn't go away. There will be something else that will be similar going forward. But the Generation X had the dot-com boom, which was not very different. It did involve stocks instead of the altcoins, obviously, or the cryptos. But it was the same kind of um, excitement and quick riches with, with a lot of people and some people got really lucky and got out with the money before the the bigger crash came and then others did not. But yeah, that one, this, this bubble happened relatively quickly and then kind of bust relatively quickly. I think that's a good thing Yeah, because to have it dragged out for one or two years, I feel would have been more detrimental. It would have sucked in even more people at the next Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And instead right now, did anyone talk about the pot stocks at your Thanksgiving or Christmas of 2018? Cause that is kind of, well, that's been hot for a couple of years, yeah. but that is still, I, I'm getting questions from various aunts and yeah. uncles about those. Yeah, yeah. you can start to tell when people you, people that don't normally bring this type of thing up to you start right. talking about it. That's always a good sign that the, the buzz is forming. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of similarities in the way that this is talked about online and the, the, the fever that yeah. is out there on the on the internet, but I also see a lot of differences in, in that in a lot of these cases, we're actually buying and selling stocks of companies that have business models and revenue streams. Right. And Some of them are actually making money maybe now. International I know. distribution partners. Yeah. And all sorts of different stuff that we didn't see with the Bitcoin craze, which right. was hard to put a finger on its value at all. So, right. um, yeah, some just some similarities and differences, and that's that's why the lesson is so important. Is now I can I have a hands-on experience, or you know eyes-on experience in how to spot what these things look like, and maybe what the differences between that mania and, and manias I might experience going forward are. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a super good lesson. Um, I wasn't thinking about Bitcoin, but that also tells you something because I have totally forgotten about the cryptos. Really, yeah. I, can I can I bring you even further back to something you may have forgotten about, and it's outside of the time window that we've been talking about? Sure. But this is so this goes. 
I, as you noted, I've been here full time at Zach's almost two years now, yeah. but started as an intern prior to that. So I was so it was around in 2016 as well. Okay. And uh, another great lesson: we had some crazy stuff in 2016 happen, um, notably Brexit and the United States elections, yeah. which were, um, I think, massive surprise outcomes in both cases. Brexit maybe more so a little bit. You could have seen it coming yeah. a little bit. Still, definitely surprised they yeah. have. Um, the U.S. election certainly was, uh, and I think from a really basic investing perspective, in terms of lessons learned, that was like the first time that I experienced um, pricing in risk and and what happens when people when things are priced into an extent and then it's wrong, um, and the the time that it takes. Um, markets and, and these massive institutional investors to go, oh, oops, <laughs> you know, we had priced that in a little bit maybe, but we were now wrong and we got to go, we're shifting gears here. And yeah. so um, Brexit obviously caused some volatility for, for a few weeks after that happened. Um, the U.S. election was a quick turnaround from uh-oh to, well, actually, let's get into this stuff that we were we were preparing for if this outcome were to happen, but it was two examples of, uh, you know, political outcomes that I don't think everyone was anticipating that um, showed me kind of how things get priced in when they don't get priced in, what happens after the fact, um, and perhaps um, again, just thinking about lessons, like a, a good thing to think about going forward in future elections and referendums and and those types of situations. So you have also spent the last couple of years being um, wrapped around, I guess. I don't know what term you would use in the fang. Yeah, of the course. fangness. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of came into being only a couple of years ago. So yeah, yeah, it's not too old. It's I, not that I, old. I, I was already it was already around by the time I was involved with it. But, okay, um, but barely. It was new. Yeah, it's a I, some disagreement on who originally invented it, but I know. If Jim Cramer is listening, I guess I've always said it was a Jim Cramer invented term. But I think he does claim that he invented <laughs> yeah. it too. Um, that's fine. Um, I'll well, give him give credit. It to yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but now that that basically has dominated yeah. the stock market discussion since since it was invented, essentially. Yeah. And what do you, what do you what kind of lessons do you take from that? That those like five or six stocks plus a few other ones that are kind of lumped in with it. Well, yeah, and that's that's exactly what my my lesson would be is that it's funny that it's such a specific acronym, but then when you talk about it, you kind of also inherently talking about another probably five or six stocks, yes. which you know unspoken rules everyone still kind of knows what you're talking about even though you're not <laughs> right. saying it and then it's a to to a point it is a great way to describe a certain type of company and um like i said it's it's generally accepted and people generally understand what you're talking about and that is helpful to be able to be like Hey, um, this type of technology company, but it's kind of like there's some parameters that you have to hit meet, and it's got to be pretty big at this point. Once a growth company now kind of transitioning to something else, like it, there's that's too many words. So it's nice to <laughs> to. But then you know, even up into this earning season and some things that happened in 2018, um, it is important to remember that these companies have their individual companies, oftentimes 
not even competing, competing in some markets, not competing in other markets. Um, they have different operating models. They have different types of leadership. Um, they have different risks. They have different um, growth potential. Um, in you know, it's it. That's the sh the shortfall of lumping them all together is. You know, you could say, well, you know, the fangs are looking really good and the fangs should be really good. And then Facebook sells off like 25 percent in two weeks because of something that of that group really only affects Facebook, maybe Google as yeah. well um, with the, the, the data privacy stuff and, right. the, and the content stuff that really broke out the Cambridge Analytica story uh, in like March of 2018. Um, so that's where it kind of falls apart when you're like, well, the fangs look good, except for if you just look at a fang index right now, it's actually not looking so good over the past month because Facebook's right. been struggling, um, you know, so, if you were in May of last year or whatever, that would, that would have been the case. Do you do one A or two A's for your fang? Um, I do two A's and I also think okay. that the best way to make it, well, I guess, again, this, this story has changed significantly over the past few months, but the two ends where you also throw Nvidia in there oh, okay. was was my preferred fang for a while. Okay. Um, because in 2017, that was one of those stocks where just yes. you couldn't miss with it. It no. was it was every day it was it up. It was a beast. Yeah. And they all were beasts yeah. in 2017. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And in many ways, kind of lifting the indexes to the to the historic year that they had. Um, and it that changed quickly. And that it changed because of individual things from those each of those companies individual uh concerns apple if you're using the two a's i guess yeah. having difficulties with iphone sales which none of the other companies in that bunch really smell sell that to no. many smartphones google i guess does <laughs> a bit um facebook having very specific to it com content and data privacy yeah issues Netflix. or you can even say like amazon and its problems that it could have going forward in like India and the big investment there. Who else is, you know, yeah. trying to op right. like distribute goods throughout India and yeah. nobody in this list. Yeah. And we're talking about also that, that is a company with a very, like always going to have, um, certain limitations with its margins because the, the core e-commerce business is, is razor thin margins and everyone knows that, yeah. um, you know, Netflix, it concerns about it spending too much money on on video content i guess amazon's doing some of that too but it, again these are things that affect each company individually into different magnitudes on on all these points so um what are the other companies by the way that you would lump into like fang like yeah Mi microsoft okay. um nvidia as i said you can get the, the two ends in there uh, if you want to go three A's, you could do Alibaba in there. You're getting a okay. little China exposure if you do that. We've done a what podcast about? where we tried to invent an acronym of Chinese thing <laughs> stocks. There was one for a little while, but then it, it died. Well, it what didn't was have it such a good year in 2018, oh, yeah. so that's it. I forget the name of it now. Well, you can do the China Internet ETF is KWeb. That's a good one to right, follow right. if you want a good Yeah, I know on that, that one. But there was like an actual acronym for it. Mm, and I now I, I'm, I'm lost. I that. didn't come up with it. It, it so never caught on. <laughs> obviously. Um, what about stocks like Twitter? Where do you put them? Are they in a fang like, even though they're a T, but still? Yeah, I, I think over the past couple of years too, where it's it's kind of 
reached the past year and a half or so where it's kind of turned things around. I think the reason why you didn't put Twitter in the Fang conversation when it first well, emerged yeah, was it wasn't, wasn't really good. telling the same story. It was going to drag it down. Yeah, it wasn't really telling the same story. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that that has changed a little bit. Square, okay. you could say Square. Um, okay. uh, that's a smaller company yeah. and, and still has a lot more growth ahead of it than I think most of the other companies in, in that conversation. But in terms of the couldn't miss aspect of it for a while okay. it, you know a lot sure. of people made a ton of money on square even yeah. last year so yeah okay well this has been a good conversation i feel like we've covered a lot of topics like i said the last couple of years have been really interesting yeah. for investors in general and if they were an anomaly or you know obviously not the norm which being the least volatile like in all of history basically means it's not the norm, mm -hmm. but it's still, that's very interesting for newbie investors to be in these kinds of environments. And I am glad that there was the Bitcoin bubble mania in there because that's always good to get, as you said, some uh, exposure to what that environment is like because mm -hmm. it was crazy even on the social media yeah like anytime you even said you know this is a bubble about bitcoin i was like getting attacked from all sides yeah <laughs> but that's, that's common in, that's in a, a whole, bubble yeah and if that's a whole different thing we could have gone into too is just learning how to to separate what's going on on twitter and and stock twits from yeah. what actually moves markets which is in incredibly large institutions that don't spend a ton of time on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, although, who knows? But yeah, <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, so let's discuss some of the stocks. I'll, I'll recap some of the ones we talked about. We talked about Boeing, BA is their ticker now. And obviously there's the FANGs, um, Facebook, FB, Apple, AAPL, Amazon, AMZN, NVIDIA, NVDA, Netflix, NFLX, and then Google or Alphabet gets the G, but even though they changed their name. So yeah, yeah well, there, the ticker is, there, is still G. It is. -O. So that's why that's allowed. Yeah. Are there any other G ones? I don't think so. That could like surge in there. Mm, no, nah. that's why they leave it or else it would be just be fun. Yeah. Fan. Yeah. That wouldn't be too fun. Um, then we talked about Alibaba, BABA there and Square is SQ. Twitter is TWTR. They're going to report still after this podcast is launched. So that could be an interesting one with uh, some of these that still have to report earnings about what happened at the end of 2018 there. And um, I guess that's it. Does that cover everything? Do you have any? Do you have last words for for the podcast audience? Uh, any words of advice? Well, thanks for having me on, Tracy. It's yeah. been fun. Um, my words of advice would be to continue to listen to the Zach's Market Edge <laughs> podcast. That's always good advice. Um, but no, I mean, just continue to think about the things I said, especially in the first half of the episode. Know what you're investing for. If you're investing for 10, 15, 20 years from now, retirement, which might be even much further out for some of you, yeah. then time is your friend and perhaps don't look to 2017 and 2018 right. as an indication of what's to come. Yeah. Okay. Good, good advice. And if you want to get all of our podcasts or if you want to see some of the older ones that Ryan was on and some of our other guests, be sure to go on Apple Podcasts and subscribe because we're there now. 
And we've been there for a couple of years. So we have a lot of episodes. Go check us out. You can also get us on SoundCloud. All of our old episodes are on SoundCloud as well. That's easy. And we're working on getting on Spotify, but that's still coming down the pike. So subscribe on those other two areas for now. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. <laughs>